Totally Football Show. Today, totally pumped. European drama, and we have done our impact assessments as the Champions League sheds the deadwood after the goalliest group stage ever. Bayern, Liverpool, all the excitement of the midweek matches. Then the weekend featuring Moo v Pep, Jurgen v Big Sam, Moyes Conte, the bitterest crosstown rivalry since last Monday at the FSF. It's all coming up in this Totally Football Show. Special pod today. We've got a special crew listeners in for you. I'm looking at Michael Cox. Hello, James. With a little bit of zonal marking, tactical nous. Or yeah. noose? Let, let's hope so, yeah. Not a noose. Is it a nouse? Yeah. All right, that's nous. James Horncastle. That the warm, good. baritonal sound of the horn. Hello, Jules. Bonjour. Julien Laurence, Czech, and owner of the cutest Russian bot in the business, it's Sasha Gurionov. <laughs> <laughs> morning, James. I shall say it carefully. Yeah, you're hot off the train from Liverpool, where you saw... Wednesday's stellar 7-0 demolition of Spartak, Sash. Liverpool was so hot, we, so on the ball. Oh, but that so was good. your national champions who were, who were basically torn to shreds before your eyes. Did you have mixed feelings about it? I think about maybe 15, 20 years ago I would have had mixed feelings. <laughs> I didn't have any mixed feelings yesterday, to be honest. And I think Liverpool um, came out with a sense of purpose they perhaps were missing against Sevilla when they went to sleep after 30 minutes. Mm. Um, and you could see also in the second half, Liverpool came out and just finished the game off. And um, a very impressive, a very big performance, I thought, by, by Liverpool. Uh, and a very professional way, the way they dispatched of a team that's not, not actually that bad. A couple of weeks ago, they batted Zenit with virtually the same team. Um, and this is a much more impressive, impressive 7-0 than the 7-0 against Maribor, for example. And to top it all off, Liverpool now have scored 23 goals in the group stages, which I think is the highest by an English side ever. Well, it's not far off the all-time Champions League record, which is held by PSG. They made it to 25 on a Tuesday. Liverpool, meanwhile, in the last two games have scored... 12 goals. Wow. That's six, on average, six a game. I wonder what the average is going to be like come Sunday evening. Of course, they're going to be facing Everton. We'll talk more about that, Sasha, a little bit later. But, Sasha, on a less happy note, uh, the youth Champions League game between Spartak and, and Liverpool featured some really unpleasant incidents. Yeah, towards the end of the game, um, Rian Brewster was clearly upset about something that was said to him by one of the Spartak defenders. Um, I mean, he was basically in tears. Steven Gerrard had to calm him down. And after the game, Liverpool put in a complaint uh, about a case of racist abuse. Uh, it's not clear at the moment what exactly what has been said. We had no one seen the uh, report. But um, unfortunately, it's another case of uh, Russians letting themselves down. And... Um, I think Spartak um, uh, were also punished for uh, racist abuse at the league at the youth league game in Moscow as well. Yeah, when yeah. 500 seats were shut, um, were shut. So I think further sanctions should follow. And I think it's it's interesting. Russians usually get quite defensive about these cases, but I didn't really see that yesterday uh, because maybe people are finally growing up, and uh, maybe the fact as well that this was uh, basically a 17 year old child uh, mm. who got racially abused playing uh, international football. A guy who did so well at the World Cup and suddenly he's, you know, brought, just dragged down by this um, in absolutely unnecessary. And um, yeah, it's not been uh, the best of weeks for Russian publicity. Mm, more Russian news to come. But just to kind of draw a line under the Champions League group stages, 306 goals, some absolutely terrific games. Even the, the latter rounds, which usually are not so eventful, I thought I had plenty of interest in them. Uh, Michael, what did, you, what did you make of it? Well, they had plenty of goals. I'm not sure there was much interest really no. going to the final rounds. And I think it's quite concerning. There's been so many goals, but they've almost all been scored by 
the big boys just battering some teams who really should be quite good. I mean, the champions of Portugal, France and Holland, that's Benfica, Monaco and Feyenoord, got one win between them from 18 games. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you look at Benfica, they looked a really good team in Portugal last year. Ended on zero points. Um, I don't know, the, the inequality is not a new thing in, in UEFA competition, but I think this year was it was particularly stark. I think maybe it's being exacerbated as well by the fact that because there are some teams with enormous resources and, and incredible squads, some sides, like Benfica, appear to be going, well, we don't have much hope in this group stage, we'll just focus our efforts elsewhere. Yeah, I think that's true, and I think on a tactical level as well, Benfica are used to, you know, 30 games out of 34 for them are about breaking down really deep defences, and then they have to play, you know, a Barcelona or Bayern Munich or whoever, and they're on the edge of their own box and having to counterattack. So they're just, they're not built for those tasks, and they're not used to those tasks, and mm. We've seen a lot of very one-sided games this this competition. You look at the Bundesliga as well, the travails that they've had. Only one team um, <laughs> going through into the knockout stages compared with five English teams. And when you look at how they're doing in the Europa League as well, where I think Hoffenheim and Hertha are already out and uh, Köln can go out tonight. Mm. But they do have reinforcements arriving in the shape of Borussia Dortmund. Well, yes, but for them, even dropping down into the Europa League, I think, is a disappointment. Although the Europa League looks like it will be particularly fun yeah, um, in February mm. with uh, Napoli, Atletico Madrid and Dortmund in it. So uh, And Arsenal. Yeah, those guys. Milan. Not, not to bash the Germans too much, but remember that match there where they had no wins at mm. all? Like no Champions League, Europa League made no difference. They couldn't win a single game. Yeah, how many French wins were there this week, coaches? So we lost the last two 100% records. Man City getting beaten. PSG got beaten in a terrific match uh, away at Bayern. We'll hear more about the reaction to that a little bit later, if that's okay, uh, Jules. But as you say, five English teams going through. Only Chelsea failing to win their group. Because the others all finished top of the group, that means there's only three teams they can face. PSG, this is for Chelsea. PSG, Besiktas, all Barcelona and computer modelling which I was up late last night doing, strongly suggests that it will be the Catalans who Conte will be facing. It's 43% because on their side, Barcelona can also draw four, four teams. So it looks like likely. Mm. Again, I'm, I'm always a bit cautious with draws, All right. especially at UEFA, but that, they face each other. But Barcelona wouldn't be happy with that, that draw either. I think that's the hardest draw Barca could get. Yeah, of course. I think it's only Bayern and a couple of other, you know, teams you'd expect to be eliminated in the next round so it'd be a tough draw for Chelsea but I'd have them as slight favourites against Barcelona. Conte loves to outcoach the Spanish as we <laughs> saw at the Euros. Just one thing I was going to mention the Germans uh, their club performance in Europe this season is only ninth best. Wow. They're behind the likes of, the coefficients is behind the likes of Cyprus, Ukraine, Portugal, Russia. So the Germans have really not covered themselves in glory. But one thing I would say, um, say for, for example, about Benfica's performance, they finished miles behind CSK Moscow, who actually permanently skinned for the last few years. Basel aren't really big hitters either. So I think Benfica have been particularly disappointing, also scoring just the one goal. And also about, you know, the other sort of, um, I think there was a discussion about, say, 10 clubs only getting two points or less or something in the competition. But one of them is Monaco. And the one of the, another one of them is uh, Borussia Dortmund. Right. So uh, some of the big boys have fallen out as well. I mean, looking at, at here, I mean, in terms of the teams that were expected to go through, Benfica are out, Atletico are out, Napoli are out, Leipzig are out, Monaco and uh, Borussia Dortmund. None of the top seeds won the group and 50% of last year's semi-finalists didn't make the last 16 this time. Yeah, right? Atletico and, and, and Monaco. Right. I mean, I think the last time we talk about Monaco, the better for this show for everybody because they were dreadful. Two of the biggest winners, I must say, mm. from the group stages. One is Spurs, because I think a lot of people thought when the draw was made 
they would have a hard time getting out of that group. They're probably thought of as the uh, the third power in the one with um, uh, Real Madrid and Dortmund, particularly how Dortmund started the season. Um, and then Roma as well, to uh, top, top a group including Chelsea and Atletico. So both, I think, Poch and uh, Di Francesco deserve some plaudits for that. And a shout-out to Shakhtar Donetsk, mm. who have been homeless because of the war. Um, and I think they've done remarkably well to get out of the group again, to finish ahead of Napoli. Absolutely. They look a really terrific team. Gave City a real, a real match and some, uh, some lovely football being played there in Ukraine, Michael. Some lovely football there. And uh, I think we should also give great credit to uh, Besiktas, um, who topped the group. And the interesting thing about that was, traditionally over the years, Turkish teams are very good at home, pretty poor on their travels. Uh, they won four games and three of them were away from home. Right. And this is Besiktas. Ten years ago, they lost to Tanfield 8-0. Jules, you got a lot of love for Paolo Fonseca, the Shakhtar manager. Yeah, I think he's doing a fantastic job. And he said before the group stage started that if they qualified, mm-hmm. he, would, he would do his last press conference dressed as Zorro, which he did. Which, yeah, why Zorro? I don't know why Zorro. But I think, like like me in France, mm. uh, Zorro was huge when I was a kid. Right, and Paolo why, Fonseca probably the same. I so. wondered if there's some connection with... I would go as Inigo Montoya. You know, <laughs> ah, yeah, that would be a better... That's sim- On a similar kind of... Oh, yeah. no, How would Zorro. you dress as Inigo Montoya? Well, I'd have to grow. The, I'd, I'd put a lot of effort over the course of the group stages in perfecting the hair and mm. the uh, the goatee. Oh. And then you just have what, like an open open shirt, really, and yeah, a pair kind of breeches. Like bandana. Yeah. Mm. Zorro is also the guy who you know helps the um, the weak or the poor, you know, against yeah. the the, is this the Spanish big... Robin Hood. Right. A bit, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, joy for some, Zorro for others in a very real sense then as the group stages come to a close as does this little segment of the Totally Football Show. We're going to touch on a lot of these themes though as we roll on through our preview of the rest of the weekend's action especially touching on Liverpool after this. There are two massive Northwest derbies in the Premier League this weekend but maybe, just maybe, the best of the action is going to take place in South Wales. No, seriously. Alan Pardew's taking his new West Brom troops to Swansea. And remember what happened last time Pards visited the Liberty? The Swans ended up beating Palace 5-4. Sure, the Baggies and Swansea are two of the lowest scorers in the Premier League, but if you back one of them to go two goals up in the game, Paddy Power will pay out immediately as a winner, even if the game ends as a draw or your team goes on to lose. And if you don't fancy this fixture, don't worry. Two up from Paddy Power is valid for any team in the Premier League or La Liga. All you have to do is head to paddypower.com to find out more. T's and C's apply. Win, draw, win, singles only. Exclude shop and cashed out bets. 18 plus only. Be gamblerware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. On to the weekend then, Michael Cox. What's the fixture computer up to? Yeah, throwing up two massive derby games back to back on the Sunday. Oh, right. And a third, if you want to include the early game Saturday, West Ham Chelsea. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to that game. So Are pro- you going probably to probably should have remembered that one as well. All yeah. right. Well, the, let's the, start the off with. district line derby, isn't it? What, what do you think Big Sam will have thought watching events at Anfield on Wednesday? Well, I think he will have been absolutely terrified, to be honest, because, um, you know, you look at the, the defenders that Everton have, have available. I think it's going to be a back four, something like Kenny Keane, Williams, and uh, Martina. And. The way Liverpool played, not just uh, you know how good they were, the, the quality of the goals, but the fact they were pretty much playing 4-4-2 and playing almost mm. a front four. And I think there's a good chance that Klopp will do the same in this game. It's traditionally a game where you need to win the midfield battle. 
But I think with those four firing, you know, as they were, they can just go four against four high up the pitch. And I really fear for um, Martina in particular, the, the left back at Everton, who really I don't think he's a Premier League quality player and certainly isn't a left back. So how he's going to deal with Salah, um, if it is to be Salah on that left, it might be. Might be Mane. Um, I, you know, I dread to think, really. And we, could, we saw what happened to a, not a left-back yesterday because Jikia for Spartak Moscow was a standing left-back and he was absolutely torn to pieces uh, by Mane. And ba- I think what we saw yesterday, similar thing might happen to Everton. Basically, the defence that's not particularly experienced, um, or not very good, uh, being bamboozled by the movement of the four. Uh, and we saw that in Liverpool's second goal yesterday where it was basically Mane to Sato for me mm. and Coutinho goal. I mean, that was, that, that, was, that, was, that was a wonderful goal. And Liverpool, all those four players, they can all score and they can all score really stunning goals. I mean, you take the Mane volley, for example, which was stunning. The Salah volley against uh, Stoke before. So how do you stop them? Sasha there at Anfield last night. Before the game, any one of three teams could have gone through. Any one of three teams could have topped the group. Um, how, how nervous was the atmosphere pre-match? And, and, and what was it like once the goal started going in to be honest I don't think it was that nervous because um, there was some somewhat of a return of, of confident European Liverpool yesterday I mean Liverpool haven't made it through the group stage since 2008 their last performance in the Champions League was utterly pathetic where they just capitulated in the group stage and I think um, y- yesterday it felt like a big team is back and of course it helps when the left back makes a mistake and drags down one of your attackers in the fourth minute and everything settles down but I thought Liverpool also just went for it in a very impressive way. I think it's the fourth time in the Champions League this season they scored three in the first 30 minutes. But after that, they did not let up. And also, when they came off for the second half, banged two more goals, and after that, it's a procession. And it, the, good, the great thing for Liverpool is um, it was basically a training match ahead of the derby. So it wasn't... I don't think Salah was going at full pelt yesterday, to be honest, which is, should be a frightening prospect for Everton. Mm. So I think they had a practice match. Uh, they gained more confidence. The four scored seven goals between them. Uh, so I think Liverpool are pretty, pretty confident at the moment. And also the back line, did that. they weren't threatened too much, but they did quite well. There was one moment of worry, uh, which I fear for the derby as well. Emre Jan might have seen a red in the first few minutes because he went, he went in over the top of the ball. And it's one of those moments where I think that was the one time crowd got nervous. They went... All right, which will mean he'll be suspended. Mm-hmm. Listen, Everton, do you know when the last time they won at Anfield was... Oh, Andre Konchelskis, Konchelskis, two one, ninety nine. I know the last time Big Sam won at Anfield. No, this is the thing. He's almost like kind of three hundred pounds of kryptonite for attacking yeah. football because he won there last season with Crystal Palace. And you know what? He was in charge of Sunderland the season before when they drew two two. And this is the thing with with Sam. You know, I, I think he would imagine that if his name was Sam Allardyce, he would probably be in the Liverpool job. What nation would that be? It'd be German. Yeah. No, but he imagines this because what I love about Sam is he loves going up against the high-profile continental managers mm. and dishing it out. I always remember going to um, West Ham against Chelsea a few years ago when Rafa Benitez was interim manager and West Ham won. And when Sam has one of those big wins, he comes down into the press conference afterwards, absolutely glowing. He'll spend about 45 minutes going into detail about his tactical preparation for this. And of course, he's not going away with the team on Thursday for the Europa League. Mm. Yeah, He's sticking around at Finch Farm, so he's going to drill the, the first team, which are basically going to stay in uh, on Merseyside so they can prepare, drill them. Um, so you would imagine that with all the flaws that this Everton side have and all the strengths that we've, we've pointed out at Liverpool, 
they have a, a big what, what Sam game, game plan, plan for what, this. What, what will the game plan be? They play five at the back, Michael. Don't you think? I think they will go five at the back and they go, go for ten? a draw. Possibly and be I, very, very deep. But I mean, I think the problem is they've got so many defensive injuries. They might not have five really good defenders to call from. Right. But if you go five at the back, this means you're playing three centre backs. And I think Liverpool earlier this season, the four-three-three was certainly primed quite well to play against the three centre backs. So not not sure if just not sure if the five at the back would actually work. Well, you see the versatility that Liverpool have got mm. now as well. They can play three-four-three three with exactly. one defender. Yeah, they played four-four-two so, last night, yeah. which I thought was brilliant. Mm. They, they tried it against West Ham. Oh, really it worked did. really yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. I they've think got it so, really they've got well. lots of solutions. So if Sam can pull this off, I mean. He'll be in that conference. Mind blown. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yet you believe, don't you, James? I think I've got, yeah, I've got a little inkling there. Right, this is a Everton team that conceded four goals against Southampton mm. last weekend. But like you say... Big Sam. Big he's, Sam. You know, and I think there is, uh, on, amongst Liverpool fans, there is a bit of a fear of the Big Sam. Would, Surely would, would, not. No, there is. There is. <laughs> what are we talking about I know, I know you, but uh, <laughs> fans are irrational and they look at Big Sam and they remember yeah. his results and the type of football he, he, he plays and they think, oh, this is the sort of thing Liverpool have struggled against. So there is a little bit of fear. Anyone who orders a pint of wine is someone to be feared. <laughs> Jules, yeah. Manchester derby later on Sunday. Eight points is the gap between... Man United and Man City, how big is that gap going to be on Monday? It remained the same, Jimbo, eight points, I believe. Right. Are you, are you seeing anything that, a, a kind of a worrying slowdown in City's fortunes? The game against Shakhtar wasn't that important for them, but when you look back on recent results, you've had those single-goal victories against Huddersfield, Feyenoord, Southampton and West Ham. Has that old freewheeling, swashbuckling City of the first couple of months, have we, have we seen that gone for good? Yeah, I think I think that's gone. I just think they they tired a bit, and, right. and rightly so with the football they play. I think the Bruno and Silva, for example, surely at some point can't always stay at that kind of level all the time. They need a bit of rest, which right. I think was good for them to miss to miss out on the Champions League match. Silva is still doubtful, I believe, for that derby, which would be a huge loss mm. for them. And I think as well, if you look at the left back position, Delph has done well for them, considering he's not a left back. But I think there's a point in the way they play that you really miss someone there being good. And when on the other side, Walker is also a bit tired mm. and doesn't have the same legs to, you know, to, 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 to make his runs, then you struggle. So you're missing Mendy. You've also uh, got John Stones, Stones out. Yeah. So, yeah, problems at the back. The McLovin saying, will the Shakhtar defeat be the momentum killer for City? And, he, and McLovin pointing to similar situation last year when City started the season well, then drew away to Celtic and never recovered, finishing third in the league. Is that fair? Yeah, maybe. I mean, City still won the group, so I'm sure they'll probably count that uh, defeat as some kind of victory in midweek, the same way they counted the uh, Wolves draw as a victory. But um, there we go. I knew that was coming out. It's not even good. Uh, no, I think I think it will be a really tough game for City this weekend. I'm going to say something quite controversial now, but I think Paul Pogba being out could be quite good for Manchester United <gasps> because I think they need to be really, really secure in front of the defence. You know, you've got to stop De Bruyne and Silva because they've been in incredible form. And I think if they have Matic going up against De Bruyne and Herrera, who's done a really good man-marking job on someone like Eden Hazard on the past, uh, in the past, I think he might be able to stop Silva to a certain extent. And if they can stop those two. You wonder really where the creativity comes from for City because uh, without John Stones, who's so good at using the ball from the back, I don't think they have a real uh, playmaker in that position. And I do worry about City defensively. I mean, uh, Mangala and company, they haven't looked secure together. Not sure about either of them individually. And I think United will go two up front, probably Martial and Lukaku, who um, 
I've looked quite good in the last uh, two or three games, even when Lukaku hasn't been scoring. I think his link play has been very good. Right. I was wondering if there was going to be a role perhaps in the team for a man who talks about Guardiola soiling himself, soiling his underwear in front of Mourinho, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. (laughs) (laughs) The philosopher. Exactly. He scored against them last year. He did. The goal that broke Bravo. Yeah. Well, also Lukaku scored twice against them for Everton. And, um, you know, we all know about uh, his record in in so-called big games. But uh, well, these have been cagey affairs of late. Will Mourinho switch to his normal tactics then in, in this game against a, a fellow big side? I think it will be a familiar um, format that, uh, that United go with. I think in many respects, um, how they played in those what, first 20 minutes against Arsenal um, would, be, uh, would be quite bold, I think, of, of, of him, really. But... Uh, yeah, I know what you're saying about Pogba in terms of uh, without the ball, um, he doesn't really seem to do all that much. But I think with it, he's key to um, key to connecting um, the team with you know the likes of Lukaku and, and Martial going forward. He'll be a big miss. There was also one thing happened yesterday uh, that grabbed me. Edison, for the first time this season, made a mistake coming out, mm. uh, quite a bad one. So would that play on his mind? Would Mourinho look at that thinking, hmm, maybe we should launch some long balls into that space and see whether Edison can cope with them? He made, he made the same mistake against United mm. in pre-season in the ICC in the States where Lukaku scored exactly the same goal as yesterday where he went out of his box to get the ball, missed it, Lukaku touched it before him and then scored in an empty net. All right, well, Mourinho will undoubtedly be drawing up his schemes. Do you think that's what they'll involve? Anything else do you think he'll try and do to, to blunt City? I think they might press early. You know, against Arsenal, they got those two goals from closing down high up the pitch. You go back to those classicos between Mourinho and Guardiola, and Real always eventually retreated into a defensive position. But also, they did uh, often they did quite well in the first ten minutes of that. I remember goal Benzema scored after about fifteen seconds. It came from closing down in the opening stages. So I think I think City might be quite nervous, and I really fancy Martial and, and Lukaku to get something out of um, Mangala and company. Hmm. I think just their pace and the fact Edison. Um, you know, made that mistake means that yeah, if United just sit back and, and play quite direct, I think they'll they'll get something. Uh, so De Gea, if is in the De Gea of the Arsenal game, which was like I don't know, it looked like there was two goalkeepers at some point in the goal. Then maybe City wouldn't score. I mean, who knows? It doesn't happen much for them not to score. So be interesting. To see. And just one final um, kind of selection decision, I think, for Guardiola. Haven't been particularly impressed with um, Aguero the last few games. Last five games, he's scored two goals. Both have been penalties. And uh, I thought it was really obvious against West Ham last week how how limited he is in terms of link-up play. Really, um, he's great on the shoulder in behind the defence. But I wonder whether um, Guardiola might play uh, Gabriel Jesus and mm. just give those United players um, a bit of a surprise. Well, the Jesus got to start midweek away in Ukraine. Aguero then coming on, yeah. which would suggest, although it's always hard to read exactly what Guardiola is preparing. Jules says the gap's still going to be eight points. What does everybody else think, Sasha? Yeah, draw as well. Okay. 11 points. 11 points. Double down. All right. Yeah, I'll go eight points as well. Tweet us at The Totally Football Show. Find us on Facebook and check us out at thetotallyfootballshow.com. Not enough derby for you? Have another one. Saturday's London affair between West Ham and Chelsea. Ooh, I've got a stat. Intriguingly, half... Of the eight Premier League defeats that Chelsea have suffered under Antonio Conte have been against other London teams. 
They did the double over West Ham last year. Yeah, not West Ham. This West Ham were battered at Everton. I mean, this West Ham looked like a team most likely to go down at the moment. Uh, so I don't really see how West Ham can get anything in that game. That, was the, off that was the other stat, though, wasn't it? What's about that? David Moyes, the last what forty odd games that he's been a Premier League manager yeah. have been in the relegation zone. Yeah, a team that by the end of the weekend could be in last place, and their next match midweek, of course, there's a midweek round coming up, is at home to Arsenal. This is the third worst start that West Ham have made to a top-flight season in their entire history. Adrian, I believe, set to continue in place of Joe Hart. As for Chelsea. Well, they didn't get the uh, the win they needed at home to Atletico midweek, but uh, no great problems there in terms of fitness, are there? Don't think so. No, no, not really. I think the only player he he rested in uh, in the Atletico game was Alonso. Yeah, who um, didn't start, and Zapacosta started on the left and did quite yeah. well on the left, considering he's a right foot. Yeah. But Moses is back on the right, yeah. and and that's such Same a way. big factor, no, yeah, for Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. Mm. All right, so that looks like for all Chelsea's problems with teams in the capital. You're still yeah. feeling really reasonably confident. And Chelsea, they've got actually quite a relatively straightforward-looking uh, Christmas period, oh, haven't very they? Much so, they, only, yeah. they only play Arsenal, uh, the Emirates, I think, on January third. But between now and then, they should be able to rack up quite a few points and take advantage should any United and City slip up ahead of them. They're already on a very good run, yeah. to be fair. Apart from the the Roma defeat, which was a, not a freak defeat, but, but Roma were very clinical, and uh, you know it was just a one-off day, I think. I know of their sorry for Chelsea, but they've, they've been really good at all. I'm looking forward to seeing Eden Hazard in this game. He scored a wonderful counter-attacking goal against West Ham last season. Um, he also, depending upon his position, he might be up against Pablo Zabaleta, who Ooh. he regularly just roasted in those City-Chelsea games to the point the City started not playing Zabaleta because good a fullback as he was, he just doesn't have the acceleration or the mobility to keep up with, with Hazard. And I must say, every time I see Hazard, I'm just... He kind of takes my breath away with something new. Really? I think he's such an incredible player. And I think he's actually quite underrated in terms of his status within Europe. You know, he's been so consistent since he joined Chelsea. Has he been so consistent? Well, it seems no, to be one season, season on, one season. Oh, no, he has. He, has, he, had, he, had half a, he had half a season where he, yeah. where, where he chucked it in. So maybe not consistent. <laughs> well, half a season in... It's quite a large period of time in for what? professional football. Uh, four, and a half years. Yeah, four and a half years. So he's been brilliant for four years out of four and a Still half years. Still about 20% of the time. Well, okay, but if you can find another player who's been at that level during the uh, during the time he's been here, I'll be very time, surprised. 20% of the time. <laughs> he's got every, uh, his last uh, three years at Lille and yep. uh, three of his four years at Chelsea, he's been voted into the kind of team of the year for his league. He's just on it all the time and... Uh, he would be, I think, more highly appreciated if he was a bit more of a... I mean, we don't really know too much about him, which I quite like. I don't know anything about Hazard. I can't tell you anything about him. He doesn't seem to want to be a superstar. He Jules? just He's a quite he's humble He's married, guy. yeah, two children, very happy. He's a very, like... His he... brothers are footballers too. That's true. Yeah, yeah it's obviously There's a loads of them, aren't there? family of three boys. Torgan, uh, Killian. Torgan and Killian, mm. the youngest one who's... Uh, no, they're four, actually, sorry. Four boys. Um, yeah, no, he's, he's, he's just a really good guy. I'm... For me, he should have played in the centre a few years ago. Right. And he was very good at Lee, like Michael said, on the wing. He was very good at Chelsea most of the time on the, on the wing as well. But, but that's for switching me, to playing behind Morata. For me, it's just he it should have been there a long time ago. He's like Messi in that position. On Tuesday, I promise you, and it was Atletico Madrid. Uh -huh. And OK, they haven't been great this season, we mentioned, but they were, they're still unbeaten. And they're still very good defensively. Even Godin was on the bench, but it was still, you know... 
the, the unit defensively was good. He tore them apart. The first touch is incredible. His first touches are incredible yeah. every single time. So like you would do a first touch wherever you are on the pitch, even not under pressure, and you could just take a normal touch. But every touch, first touch he does is something like on, on the right or on the left, or there's just a change of rhythm in his first touch. It's just marvellous play. And I agree with Michael. I think he's a bit you know, underrated, which I don't understand. Mm. I wouldn't compare him in absolute with Messi, but where he does resemble no, him yeah. is that close control and speed in dribbling. There's, I think that you can really see there, is a, that there are kind of echoes of Messi in, in that, that respect. He could be facing Messi, of course, in the Champions League, according to my computer modelling last night. <laughs> and he might be facing him in the Liga next season, if the rumours are to be believed. Is that, is that just a, a kind of a tarred old story that refuses to go away, or is there some new life in that Real Madrid business? No, the new life is that at some point his contract at Chelsea will come to an end. Right. Uh, and uh, they obviously can't let him go on free. The, 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 the truth as well is that it's his dream to play for Real Madrid one day. Mm. And he's obviously not getting younger. And Zinedine Zidane, who's his idol. But like when we say idol, he's like a proper, you know, he grew up loving Zinedine Zidane. And, and I don't know how long Zinedine Zidane would be the Real Madrid manager, but obviously it's a huge temptation for Eden to at some point play under Zidane and, and at Real Madrid. Also, the, the, the thing I like about Azar is he gets angry in a completely right way, like he did, for example, against West Brom. So you rile him up and he becomes so much better and he will destroy you. They knocked him down and yeah, then he, he... Got up and just knocked them all down. Right. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Hey, we'll talk about some of the other exciting games coming up this weekend later on. But after this, going all continental again. Listeners to Footballing Podcasts will know that there's enough tough decisions to make these days without having to worry about which razor to use. So why don't you take the hassle out of your shaving routine by signing up with our pals Cornerstone. Never run out of blades, never need to shop again, just let them know how often you shave and they'll take care of the rest. Get £10 off your first order and find out more about your perfect shave box at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. Jules. PSG lost midweek to Bayern. Yeah. Curious about the reaction in Paris. (laughs) And also, I mean, you were a little bit nervous because they'd had that big win at home to uh, the Bavarians earlier in the season and it would have needed a 4-0 win by Bayern Munich to see them lose top spot. But when it went to 2-0, you started to have all sorts of... Flashbacks to last season in Barcelona, didn't you? I did, yeah, because they started so badly... um, they looked like they were not up for it, really, which is weird. Even if there was not much at stake because they were really qualified and, and it would have taken a lot for Bayern to win 4-0, really, and PSG not to score, for example, and, and everything. But they still didn't look really motivated, ready, mentally, especially, you know, to go and win the ball, second balls as well. They were just beaten in every compartment of the, that first half. And, and Bayern scored early. Bayern were very clinical. I have mm. to give them that. PSG had as many, if not more, chances than Bayern. And Bayern scored three and PSG just scored one. Um, but it was, it was a worry because I think Unai Emery, who has a terrible record away from home against big clubs, when he was, you know, before in Spain, never won at Barcelona, never won at Real Madrid. And... and and even at Spartak or in other jobs, and since being at PSG, has been unable to win away from home again in big big matches. Mm. So I or think even that's in the small ones like Strasbourg the previous weekend. <laughs> and Strasbourg the previous weekend. I, I repeat what I said before on the pod: he's not going to be there next season. They're already looking for a replacement for next season, Ooh. which probably be a good thing. Who's it going to be? I would put a fiver on Antonio Conte. You're asking about the reaction in L'Equipe today. Um, very measured. They put uh, they did a big feature on what five possible successes 
to Anna Marie. So that's already how they're thinking. Because I think on Sky Deutschland, they well, at half time yeah, they picked up Nasser Al Khalifi going to the dressing room at half time, which he often does but leaving it with like a face of uh, not being happy at all. And, and in fairness, after the game, he came out, uh, Nasser, and said, I don't, I don't come here to lose 3-1. You know, this is a big game and we're a big team with big players. We shouldn't be beaten 3-1 away at Munich. Um, so I worry for Unai. In fairness, he hasn't been very good since arriving at Paris. I'm, I'm not even sure he's, he's a very good manager, to be fair. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, it's just, embarrassing the about. problem, the, 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 there's a problem, but which is not his fault, but also his fault, is that this team is unbalanced. But we know that before because Neymar and Mbappe don't defend. So obviously, if you play against very good opposition and it's not his fault, if they don't want to trail back and, and run and defend and help their fullbacks, mm-hmm. you end up being 2v1, which the second goal from Bayern, for example, is exactly that. Dani Alves is against... Um, Ribéry and Alaba and he doesn't really know where to go and James uh, sorry James and, and Alaba and James crosses and Tolisso scores so that's that's not his fault but he should I don't know find a way to either make Neymar and Mbappe different a bit more or find a way to make this team a bit more balanced and they need a number six which they didn't recruit in the summer which they might do in January but there's, there are issues that might be solved come the big games in March and April etc mm. or might not be solved and that are not just his fault they won't be solved by this weekend when they take on Lille in Liga. Uh, is it going to be three defeats in a row, do you think, Josh? It can't be. Uh, it cannot be. How many won be. the game? Aren't they resurgent? They won, two, they won the last two. They've got yeah. that amazing goalkeeper who used to be at PSG, Mac Menion, who just saved two penalties in a row in two no different way. games. Who's yeah. in charge right now at Lille? Uh, he's a guy called Joao Sacramento. He's, hmm. um, yeah, he's a young 29-year-old, not really a, a coach or a manager, but he's Luis Campos' right-hand man, Luis Campos being the sporting director at Lille, who put him in charge for now, after Bielsa left. So he might get the job for the rest of the season or not, but he's doing okay so far. It's Good. quite embarrassing, that PSG defeat. Against Strasbourg? No, against oh, Bayern. Bayern. Because uh, while Bayern have, uh, have really been resurgent under, under your pankers, you looked at who they left on the bench against PSG. Uh, there was Boateng, there was uh, Vidal, there was uh, Thomas Muller, Javi Martinez. So four key players. I know. And yet, yeah, I mean... The only good thing, to be fair, is Mbappe. His goal was brilliant. And at 18, he's, he's 19 on the 20th of December, same day as Rafael Honigstein. Really? He won't be 19, but it's the same birthday. Mbappe has reached 10 goals already in the Champions League and three assists in, in only 15 games at 18. And I'm not trying to compare him to Messi and he's not as good and please... Just don't abuse me on Twitter. But Messi was 21 and three months when he reached 10 goals in the Champions League. Okay, what's your Twitter handle? Laurent <laughs> <laughs> Julien. Keep them, keep them coming. I, okay. I'm quite pleased that PSG lost, actually. I'm really bored of hearing about how good they are. There's nothing there's nothing likable about this team, really, is there? Oh, <laughs> my no, look, come on. What? Come on, let's be honest. Well, you must have the what? lowest postage <laughs> bill at Christmas. <laughs> all they, they, they responded to the embarrassment of losing the league to Monaco last year by conco- uh, concocting this ludicrous loan deal where the champions were essentially you know stripped of their for, forced into loaning their player to the team who were going to beat yeah. them to the title anyway and were so embarrassed by their embarrassing collapse against Barcelona that they activated this release clause that was about twice what what Neymar was worth and you throw them all together of course they beat the the mid-table sides in Liga, but they didn't look like a team against Bayern. I thought. I thought they were really pathetic. Exactly. I, mean, I don't think they were ever going to. I mean, despite the fact that Jules got all nervous, but I don't think they were ever going to lose four 0 They were always going to win the group. So I don't know. I don't really blame those players for not going at hundred percent. I do. I mean, come on. They, 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 it's, it's a prestige game. They're all about status. 
they they need the they need to make a statement by winning away at one of the big traditional heavyweights, and they don't do it. They get they got they got completely undone. I just think it was it was an opportunity for them again to really stick it and say, look, it wasn't a fluke last time out when Carlo Ancelotti was in charge and basically no one was playing for him. Yeah, you know, it was. It's a big. It's. I think it's a real faux pas from from, mm. from memory. Well, we said after the game, we didn't play as a team, and if you don't play as a team again, that kind of a position, you can't win because That's Neymar so and Mbappe are trying to do their thing on their own. It can't work. I, I don't think they'll win the Champions League with a team that has Cavani, Mbappe, and Neymar. I think they'll have to drop one, and if they drop one, it will be Cavani because of his status. It's a big shout. They, they don't work hard enough. Right. Yeah. Where, um, producer Ben's either listening to disco music or he wants us to move on. <laughs> Jules, you'd probably welcome that as well, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Let's please. talk about Italy a little bit then. Uh, oh, Top three teams within two points of each other. Five within four if Lazio and Roma win their game in hand. It'll be extraordinary. And once again, we've got Juventus taking on the league leaders. Now, mm. they did that last Friday. They beat Napoli. Inter are now in pole position. Can they do it again? They're hosting Inter. Inter actually have failed to score a single goal in their last three trips to Turin. Well, yeah, but this Juventus defence is different is it, from though? that one. That's one of the things about Napoli was the way that it seemed to be back to the good old days for La Signora. Well, they do seem to have found a balance in the last couple of weeks because, um, as you, I think, were alluding to, they've kept four clean sheets mm. in a row. Against who? Well, against Barcelona, against Napoli, against Olympiacos and Crotone, Crotone as well. Crotone, yeah. Um, but um, Medi Benatia, um, who was very good at three or four years ago at, uh, at Roma, um, seems to finally be coming good for them um, at the back with either Chiellini or Basagli. Uh, I must say, he won't play on um, Saturday night, but Chesney was very good um, against Olympiacos, made two big saves. Um, but, uh, yeah, unusually, Juventus are the team that uh, are top scorers at the moment in Serie A with 41 goals. They're averaging more than three a game. Only City and PSG in Europe's top five leagues have scored more really? than the Bianconeri. And that's even with Paolo Dybala off the boil at the moment. He's only scored two in his last 12 games. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what's really um, tantalising about this game is the fact that Inter go into it in great form themselves with everybody fit. Remember, they're not in Europe, so they've had the whole week to kind of rest and recuperate and get their game plan um, together for this one. Um, Icardi's in brilliant form, always raises his game when he plays against Juventus. He scored, what, seven in nine games against them. And Perisic uh, was in top form himself, got a hat-trick in the weekend in a 5-0 win against Chievo. And Inter are the team that, well, with Napoli and Roma, have the best defence in the league at the moment. Um, And Spalletti's done a marvellous job there. Um, They're the most improved team in the league. Yes, they underperformed last year, but to be 18 points better off than they were at this stage last year and alone at the top for the first time in, I think, 18 months um, is remarkable, particularly because you look at the side um, that uh, went top of the table last weekend. Who was at the back for them? Davide Santon, who Inter couldn't give away in the summer. I think Watford said, "Mm, we don't want him when he was offered there. Ranocchia, who could have scored Mm -hmm. two or three goals against Chievo, and uh, D'Ambrosio, who was a signing by... Walter Mazzari. So they're not by any means the first choice, but it goes to show that if Spalletti can make these players look good, then Spalletti's a very good manager. Um, the unfortunate thing for Spalletti is his record against Juventus, and particularly in Turin, is poor. Right. Um, he's only won once, uh, but that was the last time they played, um, when I think Juventus played Roma at the end of last season. Napoli, meanwhile, who are the other team in that kind of two-point mm. trio, 
uh, are going to be hosting Fiorentina, which should be a very interesting game indeed. Danny Reeves says, how do we feel about Napoli after the last week or so? Can they bounce back? A question I was putting to you midweek, James. Yeah. And, and Michael, I don't know if you have a view on is, is is Napoli for such a good team that they have some pretty poor results, don't they? Yeah, I worry about the lack of rotation. A little bit like City in a way, playing fantastic football the first two or three months. But uh, in the same way, Silver and De Bruyne have played all the time and look a bit knackered. I think you can say really the same of Napoli's uh, front three. Yeah, without doubt. And uh, they're going to be without one of the front three, Lorenzo Insigne, who's been um, such a key part of what they do. And uh, in addition to that, Napoli's left-hand side is really their strong side. And to have lost um, Goulam um, for, to a long-term injury, and now Insigne and Hamsik really all season has not been off the boil. It seems to be he's one goal away from mm. matching Diego Maradona's all-time club record um, for, for goals scored. And that seems to be really weighing on his mind. OK, now, in other Italian news, Benevento, <laughs> fresh on that point against Milan, are going to be away at Udine, who've just yeah. recently changed managers. Yeah, Massimo Otto. The, the question now for me with Benevento is, can they stay up? They're nine points from safety. I say they can. Well, there was a uh, magnificent story after Brignoli's goal, the goalkeeper who got them their first point, because uh, Massimo Taibi uh, was talking mm. in Gazzetta della Sport the yeah, following day. Yeah, a sign day. of destiny, he called it. Yeah, and uh, Taibi uh, recalls that when he scored his goal for Regina against Udinese in 2001, they win a relegation battle. And even though they lost their next two games, um, it really changed the mood around the club and there was a lot of positivity. And they almost stayed up. They ended up losing in a relegation playoff <laughs> to Hellas Verona. <laughs> oh, so they, they lost, almost, they lost no, the next no, two yeah. games and then got relegated. They, they went on, he said the next two months were special. I don't know whether he was just talking about him, but it did, he, he, it did give this lost cause. No one gave them a hope mm. of staying up. They, they actually look like they might for a little bit and maybe could, maybe Benevento will as well because we saw Crotone pull off the great escape this time last year. Yeah. Sad to see Davide Nicola, the, the architect of that, actually resign this time, uh, this week. But um, yeah, I wouldn't put it past them. Mark Coleman says, uh, James, can you give us an update on how Palmer are getting on? Both top, on and off the pitch. Yeah, top of the league in, in the second division. But then again, three teams are top of the league. Um, Palermo are one of them. The other one, oh, it's, it's Fabio Grosso's Bari. Um, but uh, I think the top eight are separated by something like four points. Wow. Um, so it's very tight. But um, we've seen clubs uh, come up in back-to-back years, Benevento being one of them and Spal being uh, the other, and then find it really hard when they get into the top flight. Palmer would outdo them both because this would be three straight promotions if they do that. Um, they recently changed hands. Again, there was a takeover. They've been bought by Chinese investors who made Hernan Crespo the vice president of the club. Um, but the 10% of the club is still owned by the fans and 30% is owned by local businessmen who basically came in to create a buffer against, um, as we saw, you know, sort of previous owners who mm. financially mismanaged the club. Top scorer is Lorenzo Insigne's brother, Roberto, who's got really? six goals for them this season. Excellent. Um, by the way, listeners, if you found all of that a little bit tedious, don't worry. The Italo files are being shipped off to their own show in January. Somebody's done some artwork and we're borrowing a bit of music and uh, all the other details we'll be putting together as soon as and we'll let you know how to subscribe when we get the feed up and running. Sasha, did you want to say something? No, I'm just excited about it. Are you excited mm-hmm. about that? I'm excited about the draw for the World Cup, which took place in Russia. What was that? Was that Monday? Well, no, it was Fr- Friday. It was Friday. Friday. Yeah. 
Friday now. What was the response in Russia? Because there's been a lot of talk of disinterest about the World Cup. No, I think I think that they got excited. Uh, I think they got excited that all these big names came to Moscow. You know, Pele, Maradona. I think they also got excited about obviously Lineker turning up mm-hmm. um, because he's you know the big. The big name in football, if you like, the, the, the guy who is does the fair play. And also he comes from the English side, you know, and the English who have been criticizing the Russians quite a lot, including uh, Lineker criticizing FIFA and stuff. But, um, yeah, so it's it was a big event. I mean, so certainly uh, my colleagues in Russia who were involved with the event, you know, they, they, they thought it was absolutely... Well, Putin is not quite my colleague, but they, they thought it was marvelous. Um, there were some difficult questions uh, being asked as well. It was very awkward. It was you know, awkward the, the at times. State-sponsored uh, doping being exposed that's awkward. in the yeah, same yeah, week. Yeah, plus then Rochenkov came out and said, by the way, there is uh, these other 34 players that are doping, uh, but he hasn't provided any further details right. yet. Luckily, doping a footballer doesn't make them better players, I As believe. we saw midweek, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, maybe maybe it's the Russian thing. It just doesn't work, doesn't work on them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but in terms of you know preparations and stuff, uh, I think that the stadiums are almost ready everywhere. Uh-huh. Um it's. Um, I think speaking to journalists who are going to be going over, the concern is you know there's there isn't really clarity with the flights, um, or with like the travel arrangements and logistically it's been I think a bit of a challenge to sort things out. Um, in terms of Russia's performance, I mean we'll see. They're the worst team there. I mean they're lucky to get Saudi Arabia in that group. Uh, in terms of where England are going. Well, they haven't really got exactly the glamorous destinations, shall we say. Uh, but they're interesting destinations. Where, where are they going? So England are starting off in Volgograd. Okay. Uh, where they're going to be playing. Home with the boatmen. Yeah. The boat, up the Volga, yes. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's Is that place. right? Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. It's a famous painting from the 19th century. Good knowledge. Oh, from, from so first. I'm confused. How does James know more about Russia than you? What, what's just happened? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was translating in my head what, right, it, what no, no, exactly no. meant. Because uh, they used to pull up the barges of the yeah. Volga. If it's Volga, I know all about it, I think. <laughs> it's the, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, do go on. So, so basically, the, the boatmen, um, they used to pull up barges up the Volga. And apparently that diet basically consisted of caviar, black caviar at the time, because it's quite, quite nutritious. And there's a famous painting uh, from 19th century, I forget the artist, where there's this, basically these scruffy guys are pulling these barges up the river. There's also the, the, the song of the Volga boatman as well. So. Oh, that, that, yeah, yeah. as well. Um, uh, so, so Vol- anyway, England are going there. So England are going to Volgograd. Um, the Russians haven't cottoned on yet to the whole bat- the first Battle of Marseille from 98 because it's England Tunisia, but I'm yeah. pretty sure they'll, they'll find out. Um, so uh, Volgograd itself isn't a very pretty place because of things that happened 75 years ago. But it's certainly, historically, uh, I think if anyone is interested in that sort of thing, there is, um, that there is a lot to see there for, from 1942, 1943. And it's a, it's a real, I think for the Russians, it's, it's the real sort of the heart of where maybe the battle was won again, effectively in the Second World War because oh. it's, it, it, it was such a huge event. And psychologically, obviously, back in the day, it was called Stalingrad. So, of course, I'm interested to hear stories of uh, England fans singing about 10 German bombers out there and see what the locals' reaction would be to that because, yeah, I think uh, the Russians feel very quite strongly about that, about that part of history. So hopefully... Uh, things will go without a hitch. In addition to that, there's quite a few local breweries. Um, I mean, I think they're, they're basically ready to welcome it all, to welcome the visitors. Plus, it's about three times cheaper than London, so I think people should be able to have a good time there. Uh, the second cool, you know. brought to you by the Russian tourist Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, next England game, I believe, is in Nizhny Novgorod, where they're playing against <laughs> Panama. Nizhny Novgorod. Novgorod. Yeah, Novgorod. used to be known as Gorky uh, because the ah, writer yeah. Gorky is from from right. that town. And um, it's you know it's got the Kremlin. It's uh-huh. it's one of one of the prettier towns on the Volga, I suppose. It's uh, it's on the confluence of the rivers Oka and the Volga, and I think it should be a reasonably good tri- good trip. And the last game 
um, is against Belgium. Which we hope won't be the last the, the game. The last game, but mm. we'll, we'll see. Mm-hmm. And it's also in a very interesting place because that's in Kaliningrad. Ooh. And Kaliningrad is obviously the uh, old Prussian capital of Königsberg, which was captured by the Russians in 1945. Uh, East Prussia was divided between Poland and Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Russia got the northern bit, including the capital Königsberg. Uh, now, I went through Kaliningrad in uh, 2012. Mm-hmm. I did a little big big tour of uh, Euro 2012. So flying back to Kiev, uh, back when it, it was still the done thing uh, for a Russian, um, I uh, watched Spain-Croatia in Gdansk, got the bus in the morning over to Kaliningrad, and my heart just just broke. Uh, because what happened in '45, Gdansk and Kaliningrad and Königsberg were destroyed probably to the same extent. But Gdansk was rebuilt. Um, and Kaliningrad was basically knocked down, or Königsberg was basically knocked down. And uh, the Germans were moved out, um, and the Russian populations were brought in. Uh, all the towns were renamed, and the German history was effectively erased. Now, as you might understand, in 1945, the feelings were running quite high about things that happened. Uh, but when you go there now, and they're beginning to restore the last few bits of the old German town you know, that, that were left, you just get a sense, you, you just lost history there. And Emmanuel Kant's tomb is still there, though his bones, God knows where they are. Also, it's um, uh, Königsberg was the um, the famous mathematical problem, the Seven Bridges of Königsberg, mm-hmm. uh, from uh, Euler's um, uh, little puzzle uh, that gave rise to a whole new area of mathematics. And basically, you cannot do the Seven Bridges properly. Actually, two of the original bridges are the... still there. It's you. Ca- I think you have to. Can you go over the Seven Bridges only crossing each once? Right, and you can't. So that's the. It's not much of a puzzle, then. but oh, there <laughs> is. by Sasha. <laughs> well, yeah, thanks. And um, no, there is. Uh, I'll, I'll send you a link. Okay. Uh, yes, I'll yeah, send yeah. you a link about it. So maybe we can post that up for listeners in their uh, downtime. See if they can maybe do better than Euler. Yeah. Um, and um, it, it it was also a closed city until 1991 because of the base of the Baltic fleet. Mm. Now it's a very bizarre place because it's it's a bit of Russia that was cut off from the rest of Russia. And when I went in, and I was like, "Yeah, going back to the USSR here, lads." Um, so it's it's it, it's odd, interesting, odd. Um, they've had problems with the stadium. Uh, I think the stadium is built is built out of town on a slightly shaky ground. It's quite sa- sandy foundation. Oh, literally, yeah. It's literally shaky ground, and they've been flooding and stuff. So, mm. yeah, it's uh, it's got to be a bit of an eye opener. There's going to be a few beaches there, beaches um, uh, on the Kuronian Spit, mm-hmm. um, and I think it would be an interesting trip. But it's it's an odd place. It's an odd place. Wow, Sasha, what a travelogue. What a little window there onto what awaits England fans come the summer. Magnificent stuff. Tell you what, in a second or two, we'll talk about somebody else who's going to be going back to the USSR, Leonid Slutsky. First this. If you missed Totally Football League uh, this week, you'll have missed James Brown talking about uh, Leeds United quite a lot and a fair and balanced discussion about that Sunderland fan that everyone was talking about on Monday. That's what supporting Sunderland does to you. (laughs) (laughs) You need someone to put an arm around him. You need 12 bottles of beer and eight (laughs) bottles of cider just to get there. And then you've got to watch it with your trousers down. It's it's, it's actually a very good metaphor for the state of the club. (laughs) It's a club that you have to drink nearly 20 drinks and watch with your trousers down. That's the state they're in. Someone put an arm around him and stick with him. No, Um, I would not touch him at all. (laughs) Now, also in Football League news, of course, Sasha, Hull waving goodbye to poor old Leonid Slutsky. Well, championship is a difficult division. Uh, he was learning on the job. Um, I think learning on the job in such a difficult club basically made it made it impossible. Okay, um, Nigel Adkins coming in yep. their 20th in the uh, league. 
I mean, his his whole transfer strategy in the summer was completely blown to bits. Mm. Uh, he did come up with a system, which the four two three one, which worked reasonably well. I thought some of his substitutions were also reasonably good. But then they hit the run of form uh, where they couldn't win for about five or six weeks, and they kept on shipping late goals. Like I think they've conceded fifteen of the twenty games or something they've conceded in the last ten minutes. And I mean, I was at one of those games. They were playing at QPR. He made good substitutions. Uh, they could have won it in the 88th minute. A minute later, it goes down the, down the end and they concede. And I think it's basically been the story of the season. So I think with him as well, I, I believe he thought that he prepared really well for it. Mm-hmm. But I think Championship probably needed more time. Okay. And also, he probably needed to wait for a better job. And he's going back to Krasnodar, uh, huh. it looks like. Um, I know a lot of the British press has been reporting that he's going to have some analytics jobs at Chelsea. But the talk in Russia is that Sergei Galeski, who is the owner of Krasnodar, uh, he has basically been waiting for him for months, uh, even before he took the whole job. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Igor Shalimov, legend Italian Italian football, mm-hmm. he isn't actually a great manager. And no? the whole way that um, Krasnodar have been playing has been thoroughly unconvincing. This autumn, they had a run of five defeats on the bounce when they couldn't score. And Slutsky is still highly rated in Russia. Um, for example, he popped into CCSK Moscow before the game at Old Trafford. The players are you know, joking around. You know, he's, he's well regarded uh, as a good specialist. So... The question is whether he, well, I mean, what, how, and whether he'd want to, he would want to return here. Because uh, I think at the moment he, he needs a bit of a rest from okay. English football. Right. Well, I'll take a bit of a rest from him. And hello, by the way, to the folks from Amber Nectar, uh, which is a whole city uh, podcast, which won the, uh, the One Club Podcast of the Year at the FSF Awards. On Monday night, which of course uh, I was at, producer Ben, and um, congratulations to all yeah. uh, the winners there at the FSF Awards, including of course our esteemed former colleagues across town. We mentioned on Monday's show actually the MLS final that's coming up on Saturday. Toronto taking on the Seattle Sounders. Soccer never sleeps. Getting in touch, saying we appreciate the shout out. But the most watched final in the USA this weekend is actually going to be the League MX game between Monterrey and Tigres. Good matchup featuring the likes of Gignac, Enna Valencia, Rogelio Funes, Morris there, and many more. Good players over two legs. Jules, you excited about that? Big Mac for Gignac. Big Mac for Gignac, yeah. Loads of Big Macs if they win the league. Yeah. Uh, they came close last season in in the um, the South American competition as well and, and in the league. And this time he carried them to the final, to be fair. He's been really good. He loves it there. Uh, there was a, a report on French television uh, recently of him over there and he's just having the time of his life and, and it's good I don't particularly like him because he obviously is from Marseille and play there but I'm glad he's doing well there <laughs> very magnanimous well. Monterey have one of the best stadiums yeah the fans uh, are amazing it's, well. it has this incredible view over these kind of green mountains my friends just moved to Mexico and we've we're booking a trip to go and watch Monterey because it looks fantastic it's great it it's a great, great league they've, they've got some really good players wow okay Let's move on to the Premier League because there's loads of there's what seven games we haven't even touched on. And we're almost at the end of the show, so uh, well I tell you what I'll fly through these fixtures. Do stop me if there's one you particularly want to talk about. It might be Burnley against Watford, a battle of of kind of the seventh place teams. James, yeah, managed by two managers who Everton quite liked, didn't they? Marcus yeah. Silver and Sean Dyche. Dyche, former Watford man himself, who was dismissed when the Pozzos uh, bought the club uh, a few years ago, but. Uh, yeah, should be uh, quite an interesting matchup this because Watford have been very good away from home, and we all know how how good Burnley have been at Turf Moor, really, mm. and away from home, indeed. Mm. Uh, another nice engagement at the Palace, you might call it, as, as Palace take on Bournemouth, 
Bournemouth, who haven't won a game in three. This could be the weekend that Palace climb out of the relegation zone. I think last time I saw them play was they lost at Spurs uh, at Wembley, and they looked fine that day. And since then, I think they've improved even more, and they certainly look in much better shape than some of the teams around them. Mm. Huddersfield are taking on Brighton. Huddersfield, since they beat Man United, have shipped 13 goals and scored only one, curiously, against Man City. Michael? Yeah, uh, Huddersfield have only had four players score for them this uh, season, which is the lowest in the league. But the good news is they're up against Lewis Dunk of Brighton, who scored they just, may the, not need a player just to the score. three own goals so far this season, so he yep. might come to their rescue. And the record is is four in a single season by Martin Skirtle, so he's very much on track to beat that. It's plenty yeah. of time for him yeah, <laughs> to do better. Uh, of all their players not scoring, Thomas Ince is the one who most catches the eye. How many shots has he had now? It's, it's in the 30s. or something, yeah. yeah. Actually, Dunk's a great name for a own goal, isn't it? Mm. It's almost an onomatopoeia, dunking it in his own net. Yeah, indeed so. Uh, Brighton, of course, coming off that uh, whopping 5-1 defeat to uh, Liverpool last weekend. No wins in four. Spurs are taking on Stoke. Here's a good game if, if Spurs want to end that real drought for results in the Premier League. No wins in four. Yeah, especially as their last uh, three games against Stoke have finished 4-0, 4-0, And only... Only West Ham have conceded more than the Potters, so a fat, even with Devenson Sanchez out, a fat Spurs win, you're saying here? Yeah, I'm going to go 4 0. All right. Swansea, West Brom. Who wants yes, to Julian. Watch, who wants to watch that? Who wants to talk okay. about that? I'm not uh, sure. Very interesting thing. Uh, both sides struggling for goals, but uh, against Swansea last year, Salomon Rondon got a hat trick comprised entirely of headers. Wow. And this became only the second player, I think, to do that after Duncan Ferguson. Really? Mm-hmm. There were reports of a heated dressing room exchange for Swansea after the Stoke defeat. Uh, Swansea, by the way, uh, the home of the most... Well, they are the most welcoming club for away day fans, as voted, as, as decided by the FSF Awards again. Yeah, I think last year as well, they won it, no? They, they They're quite that, welcoming yeah, for away teams as well, good, yeah. which is a joke we made about. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Well, Brighton, yeah. Brighton's usually meant to be good, but they locked out a load of well, Palace fans last week, didn't did they? Did they? Yeah, yeah it was, uh, couldn't get in. Six minutes after kickoff, they they were police were claiming that people were trying to get in without tickets. And they they're going to face each other again in mm. the FA Cup third round, aren't they? Newcastle taking on Leicester. Newcastle without a win in six. Leicester looking good, eh? One defeat in the last eleven. I wonder whether with Newcastle, um, you know, they were in a really strong position earlier in the season, and uh, I think Mike Mike Ashley wanted more money for the club. Whether this is some cunning plan to sort of slump down the league, so maybe he's a bit more willing in the negotiating table. This is just a hypothesis, by the Possibly way. Possibly so, Sasha. Possibly so. And the other game, which is kicking off at midday on Sunday, is Southampton up against Arsenal, uh, who've won their last two visits to St Mary's. 2-0 and 5-0. Well, that, that final was in the FA Cup with that Theo Walcott hat-trick. Yeah, against his old team. Mm. Fraser Forster often plays very well against Arsenal. Right. Um I would say, if I was Arsenal, I'd be shooting from long range. Would you? Because I think Fraser Force is very good at close-range reaction saves, but he doesn't seem to move his feet very well. His technique's terrible. He's, He's a really terrible goalkeeper. He just, he, I, th- I think the reason he makes those saves close up because he doesn't have to think, he just goes, eh. Mm. Whereas anything that needs to be done technically well, he's just appalling. And you're a goalkeeper yourself, Sasha, so you know what oh, Much about. worse than Foster, yes, but... No, yeah. but still... I'm a keen student of the game. OK. <laughs> All right. A hat-trick for, hat for Theo Walcott would feel like a, a long, long time ago, though, because the, the yeah. poor guy has hardly played this season. It's, which is sad, in a way, because I don't think he's as bad as people make him out to be. Yeah, what is it about Theo Walcott that winds people up? I don't know. I, I, OK, he's not Messi or Ronaldo, but he's not... 
super bad as well. I don't well, know. it's, it's all because of the hype and you know the fact he was called up to the World Cup squad in 2006 before he'd even started a Premier League game. It was That's just not his fault, though. It, well, exactly. It just raised the expectations to a level he was never going to be able to match. And mm. his, his record over the the decade and a bit he's been at Arsenal was fairly good. I mean, he scored over 100 goals for them, and I think um, people forget he had really bad injury uh, the start of 2014, mm. a really bad knee mm. injury that some players just don't come back from the same player I'm not saying that's happened to him but I think to get over that and to come back and I think he scored 20 goals in all competitions last year 19, I was gonna, yeah it might be 19 or 20 yeah, around yeah, which that is a level. good season to be fair for yeah. someone who plays on the wing as well he's, he's just always been of course if they let him play in the middle the way he wanted who knows how many goals he could come up with <laughs> yeah or there might be a reason why they didn't let him play in the middle like he wanted oh well always remember that hat trick he got for England away against Croatia when was that about 2007 yeah yeah 10 years a long time in football of course anyway that's it for today's and this oh no yeah, Sasha the, you know we're talking derbies on Sunday mm. um, the big Moscow derby so Spartak off the back of a 7-0 defeat uh, going up against CSKA off the back of a 2-1 defeat that could have been a lot worse if United bothered it's third against fourth in the Russian league mm-hmm. it's going to be at Spartak and uh, after that it's the winter break in Russia ah. so basically they're signing uh, people have been asking questions why on earth are you putting on the biggest game of the season in December but Russian authorities think differently and the team that's going to be leading what would the temperature be like Sasha well it's not going to be as bad as Khabarovsk Khabarovsk uh, CSKA played there and it was uh, minus 17 Ooh. and two players broke their fibias and then Lokomotiv played there the other week and Jefferson Farfan got an injury time winner and it was minus 11 Cheapest. and this is Jefferson Farfan who has been unbelievable in the last uh, five, six weeks. He has scored for Lokomotiv seven goals and two assists in six games. He's going like a train. <laughs> just, uh, he's incredible. Uh, no one can understand. At, at 32 or 33 <laughs> He's well, 33. Yeah. He hasn't scored for years. Yeah. And um, then he also went away with Peru, qualified yeah. them for the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And um, basically the revelation of the season. Yeah. And uh, Lo- a Lokomotiv unexpectedly going to be... going like an aeroplane. <laughs> How long's the winter break, Sasha? Uh, the winter break, so six months. <laughs> <laughs> the this World is Cup. not the real. Sk- three degrees. <laughs> <laughs> so the the league uh, resumes in March, but of course the Russian clubs are going to be playing in the Europa League. And small mention on that, Lokomotiv should really qualify for that today. So Russian league will have four clubs uh, in the Europa League. And interestingly enough, despite the fact that they got absolutely destroyed um, uh, this week, uh, the European coefficient this season for Russians is the fourth highest. Really? Yeah, so they're not that bad. But however, you could say that uh, maybe there's just a huge gap between the big five and the rest. Possibly so, although they're fourth. Well, the overall coefficient, so... Yeah, okay. Still struggling with that, but okay. (laughs) Um, Anybody else got anything they want to add? Uh, No? Into just a just released their Christmas song called Interbells. I haven't played, haven't played, played it. it yet. But. Let's see if we can get that up for you, listeners. Hang on. Oh, yeah. my God. Walking in an interwonderland would have made more sense. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, they don't actually sing that, unfortunately. Oh. That's their own goal from them. But uh, let's see. Here it comes. I have to say, Christmas songs is... is it's a, oh, here we go. <laughs> is, the, 
you, are you watching the video? <laughs> yeah. Is All it as play. bad as the music sounds? Yeah, it's heavy, isn't it? as well. Oh, oh, this is magnificent. Well, I think we'll leave this section of the podcast with that. But coming up, after uh, our full and uh, in-depth discussion of all those games coming out, we'll get the odds from Paddy Power and producer Ben. Thank you, James. And yes, I'm joined now by Mr. Paddy Power himself to talk through the picks for Hotshot Jackpots. It's free to enter. All you have to do is download the Hotshot Jackpot app, then pick the first goal scorers in six Premier League games. The prize fund is up to half a million pounds. The only condition is you have to be 18 or over. So, Paddy, two huge Northwest derbies this weekend. We'll get to them shortly, but let's start with Spurs v Stoke. Um, Spurs look good in Europe in midweek, but they're in a real rut in the Premier League, and that's why I'm going to go for Shakiri for my first goal scorer. It's a bullish enough shout. Tottenham are very short price favourites to win this. So Stoke even to score the first goal as a team is uh, a big enough price. But Shakiri's a 16 to 1 shot. So there's only about, I mean, 14 or 15 players of the 22 who are more likely than Shakiri to score first. But you know what? You fire right away. Let's move on to Palace v Bournemouth. Probably not too many goals in this one, but um, Benteke, he has to score at some point. Yeah, I think he does. I think this is a, this is a decent shit. I mean, so uh, this is like Palace are our favourites to win the games. You would expect a Palace player to score the first goal, and Benteke is the most uh, most likely of them. He's 9-2 favourite of anyone on the pitch to score the first one. So uh, so this would be a more sensible uh, section, I think. OK, Newcastle v Leicester. Newcastle in absolutely horrible form. Leicester uh, doing very, very well under Whispering Claude. Uh, Jamie Vardy for this one, please. Yeah, funny. Newcastle are actually just about favourites to win the game, which kind of makes it leaves you scratching your head a bit. But yeah, Vardy is, is still the most likely scorer, and he's four to one to score the first goal. So Vardy could be a banker for many, I think, in this one. Yeah. Southampton versus Arsenal. Now, Southampton hadn't been scoring uh, until fairly recently, and I think Charlie Austin is partially responsible for that. Uh, what price on him, please? Yeah, he's a six to one shot. And funny you say, because usually when Arsenal have a great result, they often back it up with a terrible result, don't they? And they, they play pretty well there. They've been playing well and they've kind of gone up and down like in a, a graph from when you did maths in school and stuff. But uh, Charlie Austin is the most likely of the Stampton players. He's six to one and I would not put you off. He's hard to keep out of the scoring. Uh, let's move on to those two big Northwest derbies. Uh, Liverpool versus Everton. Liverpool can't stop scoring at the moment. And even though I'm a Liverpool fan, the romantic side of me because Big Sam is is all about the romance. I think Wayne Rooney's going to go here. Yeah, it's it, like obviously it's the, one of the ones where you think in your head, okay, Rooney would be really trying today because it's against Liverpool forever. But I mean, it's, it's not like he doesn't try every day. But you got to have this this weird thing in your head that that's the case. He's nine to one anyway. Liverpool banging in seven in Europe during the week, uh, uh, last night. So you'd, you'd wonder whether uh, they've used up all their goals or does that mean they're on a, on a huge run? But uh, he's nine to one, Rooney. I do think it's more likely Liverpool will score first, to be honest. But uh, but if it's going to be Everton, I think it's probably going to be Rooney. And speaking of big game players, the Manchester derby, one word for you, Zlatan. Yeah, he's probably like he's obviously under a bit of pressure to uh, to get himself regularly into the team. Like City are favourites, so you're not going to go into this game with you know, they're they're at home. They'll be it, it, this is a chance to to close the gap and get, put themselves properly in the title race. But Zlatan is one of the favourites. He's five to one. I couldn't put you off. I mean, he just he just does it, doesn't he? He turns up and he does it like for for years and years and years. He has so uh, so yeah. I, I I absolutely would. He'd be the one I'd be putting down in my list as well. More info at paddypad.com, 18 plus only, begambleaware.org. And of course, when the fun stops, stop. Thank you ever so much, Sasha Kurianov. Pleasure. Julien Laurent. Thank you. James Horncastle and Michael Cox. Thank and you. you listeners. And to get you in the mood for your Christmas shopping this weekend, we'll leave you with a very special number. Mm-hmm. 